Good evening to you once again. I invite your attention this evening to Psalm number 126. Psalm number 126. We'll take some thoughts from this great psalm. Just six verses long. So we'll focus on this psalm. I'm going to tell you the direction in which we are headed. I'm going to ask uh, Brother Obed to be our special reader uh, this evening for a number of passages. And I want us to get an idea, kind of an overview of the Psalms, a very quick overview. And then I want us to read uh, this Psalm together, Psalm 126. I want us to see a quick uh, summary of this Psalm. And then I want to talk to you about happy endings. Happy endings. Now, when it comes to the Psalms, there are different types of Psalms. There are psalms in which we reflect on the goodness of God, like Psalm 8, uh, 3 and 4, uh, when you consider the works of God's hands, the sun, moon, and stars which he ordained, David asked, uh, What is man that thou art mindful of him? And son of man that you would, that you would visit uh, him. And we can understand uh, those types of thoughts. So reflect his psalms. And we ought to reflect as often as we can, upon the goodness of God. There are also psalms that we might call penitent psalms, psalms where someone is repenting and confessing sin. And, of course, the Psalm 51, uh, David confesses his sins, um, primarily having most likely the sins that he committed against um, and with Bathsheba, against God, of course, and uh, against uh, her family. And he asked God, uh, continuing that psalm, to wash me and to have mercy on me. And he makes promises that God will forgive him, that he will be a better servant, better teacher of God's ways. And then there are psalms that we often refer to as messianic psalms, psalms that uh, point to Jesus. Psalm 22 is one that we, that we often uh, look at in that uh, regard, but then there are historical psalms, and this is uh, that type of psalm, Psalm one twenty six. It, it reflects on parts of history that we are reminded of concerning uh, God's dealings with God, with His people in the Old Testament. So there are historical psalms, several of these uh, that we read about. This one here in Psalm one one twenty six has to do with a. Um, a rejoicing concerning being able to come back from Babylonian uh, captivity. And we'll read this together here in just a second. Now, the Psalms span about a thousand years. One of the oldest Psalms is Psalm 90, written by Moses, about 15th century uh, B.C. Uh, you remember some of that, where he, he talks about, Teach us, O Lord, to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. And in that psalm, Moses says, From everlasting, from everlasting, uh, thou art God. That's one of the oldest psalms, Psalm 90. But then this one here, Psalm 126, is one of the latest psalms, written, as I said, around the time of the Babylonian captivity, and it was written about 6th century B.C. So it covers, you see, about a thousand years from the oldest psalm to, to the newest 
uh, psalm. So let's let Obed come now and read uh, this psalm to us. Psalm 126, verses 1 uh, through 6. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Now, notice in this psalm, there is a, a kind of a rocky past, because they are reflecting on their captivity in Babylon, but they're coming out of that now. And so there is a joyous present. Uh, that they're singing about. Laughter now is filling uh, their mouths and singing is coming out from their heart because they're finally, as God had promised, you know, the Lord had promised that they would spend 70 years in captivity, and they did, but they were able to come back uh, to Zion, to the homeland around Judea and, and Jerusalem. And so they had a rocky past, but they had a joyous present time going on, but then they had a, um, a hopeful promise here in verses 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears will eventually reap in joy. Now, to compare a New Testament passage uh, to this, let's let Obed read to us from Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to read 21 through 23, Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. Uh, 21 through 23, to uh, notice a similar uh, comparison and summary uh, when it comes to our relationship with Christ and, and coming out of sin. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Notice here in verse 21, all of us in one sense, one level or another, before we came to Christ, were alienated from God because of our sinful past. But because, as we mentioned this morning, because of the body, of the flesh of Jesus, then we can, through submission to him, come out of that. And so Paul says, he's speaking to Christians here, the church in Colossae, you have now been reconciled. You've now been reconciled. When we are away from our Lord, we are at odds with him. We are, in a sense, enemies with him. Reconcile means to make friends again, to be at peace uh, again, again with God. We come into this world as little ones and as children, and we are with God. We are at peace with Him. But at some point, as we become young adults, we also become sinners. And we are alienated from God. And we must be reconciled back to Him through the body 
and the death of our Lord uh, Jesus. And then he mentions here also in Colossians 1, the hope of the gospel. Being faithful and not moved away from the hope of the gospel. And this hope is referred to here in Colossians 1 in verse 5. Paul says, because of the hope which is laid up for you in the heavens whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. And so notice how this compares to Psalm 126. Of course, Psalm 126 is talking about coming out of Babylonian captivity and now being able to sing as they go back home. And then they make a proclamation, he who who sows in tears shall reap in joy. And now here in Colossians, Paul's saying we were once in bondage to sin, but through Christ we can be reconciled, be made right, come out of our sins, be forgiven, and start walking with Him. And that provides for us, creates for us the hope of the gospel. The hope is that which is reserved for us up in heaven uh, with God. And so notice that. And so we want to focus, going back to Psalm 126, We want to focus on the last couple of verses about the promise, the hopeful promise. It's a rocky past, absolutely, but then there's also the joyous present and they're singing, but then the the hopeful promise of God. So notice it here in verses 5 and 6. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goes forth and weeps. Bearing seed for sowing shall doubtless come again with joy, bringing his sheaves with him. And so this is why we are going to now refer to happy endings. Happy endings. Verses 5 and 6 says, if we are faithful to God, if we sow the seed faithfully, without doubt, we'll be able to have um, some production of that seed, but also we'll be rewarded uh, in heaven with God. There are happy endings. Now I don't know what your choice of movies are, but I know about my wife. I know about my wife. And she will not watch a movie unless she is guaranteed that there is a happy ending. Um, She gravitates toward the Hallmark Channel. Hallmark Channel. Uh, Todd Clippard uh, sent a message in last Christmas when he was about had his cup full of Hallmark movies because his wife was was bringing those in uh, every night. And he said, um, in sort of a sarcastic way, he said that he was on the edge of his seat wondering what might happen at the end of this movie. Uh, but a uh, warning that we have learned over the years is that if a movie is based on a true story, it's probably not going to have a happy ending. It's not guaranteed to have a happy ending. So we ask ourselves, are there happy endings in the Bible? And does God promise a happy ending? And we know that he does. And it's good for us to review some of the happy endings uh, that we know about. On Wednesday evenings, we've been trying to give a survey of the book of Job. And we noticed how that Job's friends came to comfort him and and they did a good job in some ways, but then a poor job in others. We also noticed how that Job realized he had spoken out of turn and lashed out wrongly against God. And we, we noticed his repentance uh, concerning that in Job 42. This past week, we noticed 
that Job's wife uh, had a certain response to all these calamities that came upon them. We studied a little bit about that. But there is a happy ending at Job. So if you'll turn your Bibles over to the last part of Job, Job 42, and let um, Obed come and read uh, this for us. Job 42, the last few verses there. I believe it starts in verse, what, 13? Okay. Let's read uh, verses 10 through uh, 17, Obed. 10 through 17. Job 42, 10 through 17. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then all his brothers, all his sisters, and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in, the, in his house. And they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of his first Jemimiah. The name of his second, Keziah, and the name of the third, Karen Hapuk. In all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. So Job died old and full of days. Okay, thank you very much. Now notice... It really doesn't get much better than that as far as a happy ending on earth is concerned. Now, God does not promise us this type of happy ending in all of our lives, but he does promise a happy ending. Notice in verse 12 it said that the latter end of Job's days were greater than the beginning end of his days. That is a tremendous thought in regard to to the promise of heaven. Whatever it is that we have going on on earth that we consider a blessing, this will not even compare to the blessings that await us in heaven. No matter what it is, if you have enjoyed your work, fine, you're going to enjoy heaven even more. Have you enjoyed your family here? Fine, you're going to enjoy the family in heaven great, great uh, amount more. Whatever it is that we have, do we enjoy worship here? Watch out. The worship in heaven will be beyond our imagination. Romans 8 verse 18, Paul says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared. Notice that. I reckon. We noticed this morning that the word reckon, as it is used in our older versions, means to put it down as a very sure fact. To mark it down. You can't be sure of anything more than this. Now this morning for Romans 6, 11 and 12, we needed to mark it down. That when we submit to Christ and walk with Him and live for Him, we can mark it down that we have become dead indeed in the sins. No matter how much the devil may come and try to say, you know, you really think you're forgiven? 
You're not really forgiven. You're no better than anybody else. But the reason Paul gives us these types of statements is for us to know for sure that we have been that we have died to sin, we have been forgiven of our sin. He wants us to mark this down as well. Romans 8, verse 18. He says, I reckon that the, the sufferings of this present world are not even worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed. In a similar place, Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, and verse 16, he says, For which cause we faint not, though our outward man is perishing, Our inward man is renewed day by day. And our light affliction, which is but for a moment, notice this, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. That's why we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Things which are seen are temporary. The things which are not seen, those are the eternal things. And in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, Paul says, we know, we know. Now notice, we reckon it to be a sure fact that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed. And then Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, we know that if the earthly house of this tabernacle, this body be dissolved, we have a building of God, building of God a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. So see, we, we have a happy ending. Job had his happy ending. But we have something even greater awaiting us. So notice that from, from Job. Let's read also a happy ending from the book of Ruth. And turning over to Ruth in your Bibles right before 1 Samuel chapter 4 in Ruth. This one we'll start with with verse 13 and we'll go through uh, verse 17 here in just a minute. Now, remember a little bit about about Ruth. Remember her mother-in-law, Naomi, came and she and her husband, Elimelech, they came out of the land of Judah because of a famine. And they came into the land of Moab and... They had two sons, Malon and Kilion, and they married uh, one Orpah and one Ruth. Well, of all things, uh, while there, uh, Naomi loses her husband and eventually loses both sons-in-laws. Orpah, daughter-in-law, goes back to be with her people, but Ruth wanted to stay with Naomi, and she does. She commits herself to Naomi. So she and Ruth and Naomi go back into the land of Judah and... You know, when Naomi came back, they greeted her. But she said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Mara, Mara. And she said, call me that because my, I have been made bitter. The Lord has made my life bitter. She was in terrible pain as she came back home. She came back home empty in her mind. She came back home empty. Well... As it goes, Ruth went out to work and she went to work in the barley fields and she just happened to come upon the fields of a man named Boaz and she worked. She worked very diligently and people could tell she was one of respect. They'd also heard how good she had been uh, to Naomi and so they allowed her to work all during that season and when that season ended, uh, she had developed a, a decent relationship with Boaz so she went 
to offer him, if he was willing uh, to go further into the relationship than she was also. He said, fine, but I, I am a kinsman to you, but there is one closer uh, as a kinsman to you. I've got to make sure that he doesn't want to redeem you in your situation. And so he went to the gate of the city and talked to this man and, and had witnesses to it. And the man did not want to redeem uh, both Naomi's land and have Ruth as his wife as well. He said it would, it would tear up his own inheritance. So he gave away the redemption to, um, to Boaz. And Boaz redeemed both the land and possessions and uh, was willing and anxious to marry Ruth, and they did marry. And it's interesting here how that the women of the land will come and congratulate. Of course, they congratulated uh, Boaz and Ruth in their marriage and in their children, but they also made it a point to congratulate Naomi. It was a happy ending for both Ruth and Naomi. Let's read about this, uh, Obed, chapter 4. Verses uh, 13 uh, through 17. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Let's think of a couple other happy endings. You think about happy endings when you think about the book of Esther and all that occurred. You remember Mordecai refused to bow down to Haman. Haman was the right-hand advisor of King Ahasuerus, and it just aggravated uh, Haman to no end that Mordecai would not bow to him. And it clearly indicates that Mordecai had a faith in God because bowing is a part of kneeling which is part of submission, humility, and prayer uh, to the God of heaven. He's not going to bow to some man, no matter who uh, he claims to be. Well, it aggravated Haman so much that he talked the king into creating a terrible idea, and that is to write some sort of proclamation that all these Jews in the land are no good for you, king, so let's, let's, um, let's terminate them. At a certain time, a certain day, let's send this out to all our officials and we'll make this happen and these people will be gone. Mordecai goes and he relates this uh, to Esther, who is now queen. Uh, You cannot go into the king's presence without being summoned unless he holds out his scepter to you. There was quite a bit of trepidation uh, going in to see uh, the king, but Mordecai said, you know, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. Uh, you, it may be that the Lord has brought you to this position for such a time as this. You've just got to do it. And so she said, okay, I'm going to do it. Uh, be sure to be fasting. 
and praying, and me and my girls will be fasting and praying, but she says, I will go in, and if I perish, I perish. And so she does go in to see the king. And he and Haman are there, and there's a little banquet, and she she basically says, well, um, you know, let's have another party or banquet together, and uh, let's all come back, you and Haman come back. Uh, And so they plan another time to come back together. Well, during that time, the king is reading one night. He reads how that Mordecai had saved his his life, but nothing had ever been done to honor uh, Mordecai. And so he calls uh, Haman and says, Haman, if I want to honor somebody, um, who, you know, what should I do to honor that person? And, of course, Haman was all about himself. He said, well, you should get you, you know, the king's horse and you should create this parade and go right down the middle of the square and have all these sorts of royal colors and decorations. And and king said, great idea. Do this for Mordecai. Wouldn't you love to have seen Haman's face when he said, um, go do... Haman thought it was going to be for him. By the way, after all, he'd already had a great conference with the queen, just him and the queen. And the king, and then there was another invitation to come back to a banquet, and he's invited especially uh, for that. But uh, he's, his uh, fortunes are about to turn, so they have this gathering again. And and at this point, uh, Queen Esther reveals the evil plot of Haman, and the king was angry, and. Haman begs the queen to intercede for him with the king's anger. But, um, you know, one of the eunuchs standing by said, you know, we have these gallows here that, that Haman had built for Mordecai. And the king said, great, great, let's hang Haman on his gone gallows. And that's what happened. Well, notice in Esther 9 and verse 22... They were proclaiming a feast in honor of all that the Lord had done for them and the salvation he brought to the people in this day. Notice this in Esther 9.22. As the days wherein the Jews had rest from their enemies and the month which was turned unto them from sorrow, notice this, from sorrow to gladness and from mourning into a good day that they should make them days of feasting and gladness and sending portions one to another and gifts uh, to the poor. We know this as the Feast of Purim. And so they remembered that throughout our, their generations. But God has a way of turning our mourning into gladness and our sadness into a good day. There are happy, happy endings. The Lord is the Lord of happy endings. Let's notice one other And you remember Jacob, you remember Joseph, you remember Joseph coming to be at the um, throne of Egypt. Uh, He had been able to interpret dreams and he had been a righteous man, so God made his hand prosper. Even though he was sold in slavery by his brothers, yet he comes to power in Egypt. He was next to Pharaoh in power. And they had, through Joseph's dreams, been able to prepare for a great famine coming upon uh, the world in those days. And, of course, uh, Jacob and his sons are back in the homeland, and they are beginning to suffer from the famine. 
they hear about food being available in Egypt, so he sends his sons there. And Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize Joseph. And Joseph's not quite sure what to do with them, but he says, um, I'll tell you what, uh, let me keep Simeon here. I'll give you a few provisions, and I want you to go back home and bring all of your brothers here because they had left the youngest Benjamin at home. And so they go back home without Simeon. Jacob's very upset about this because he's already lost Joseph and his man. Now Simeon is away, and now uh, they, they say we've got to take Benjamin uh, with us. Uh, Jacob at first just refuses, refuses. Uh, it's interesting that Judah, Judah comes forward and says, says, I will be security for him. I will be assured. I, will, I am pledging to you right now that nothing, I will, no, I will not let anything happen to uh, Benjamin. That's, that's already a change in character uh, for Judah. So eventually the famine got so bad that Jacob had to release and he, he had them go to um, the land of Egypt, all of them. But eventually, in Genesis chapter 45, Joseph will reveal himself to all of his brothers. It's a great scene in, in the Bible. And then Pharaoh hears about all of this. He says to Joseph, he says, send your brothers home. Take all these wagons with you, get all his provisions, bring your father here, and you can have the best of the land, the land of Goshen in Egypt, you can have the best of the land. It's interesting, in Genesis uh, 45, toward the end of the chapter, verse uh, 26, all the souls that came with Jacob into Egypt that came out of his loins besides Jacob's sons' wives. All the souls were threescore and six, and the sons of Joseph were, who were born to him in Egypt were two souls, and all the souls um, that came out um, of the house of Jacob that came into Egypt were threescore and, and ten. That's from Genesis um, 46 and 20, 26 and 27. And then... If you look at chapter 45 and 27 and 28, they came to Jacob, and this is Genesis 45, 27, and they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, was revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. Two things revived the spirit of Jacob. First, the words of Joseph that they related, saying Joseph is alive, and they recounted the entire history of all that had happened from his being sold into um, slavery all the way to his rise in Egypt. And then when he saw the wagons... I've often imagined just how many wagons must there have been to impress a man like Jacob. It must have been very, very impressive to see all these wagons coming that would be able to tote all the possessions of Jacob all the way over uh, to Egypt. When he saw the wagons, 
So there's another happy ending. And so Psalm 126 is a song of captivity. It's a song of freedom. And it's a song of hope. That if we will continue to sow the seed of the goodness of God for us today, the seed of the gospel, then we shall reap. We shall reap both in this life and uh, that which is to come. I'm going to have Obed to come back up and read one verse for us. Psalm number 30. Psalm number 30. And verse number 5. Psalm number 30. And verse number 5. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Okay. Yeah. We long for a happy ending. We long for, for heaven up above. But happiness does not have to wait. Notice the words of this verse. Okay. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Have you ever gotten up in early in the morning and just went outside and prayed to God and asked Him and just told Him, Lord, I messed up yesterday. I've just been a foolish person, bad example in so many ways. And you ask for forgiveness and then you have the strength to live with zest for the Lord the rest of that day. That's kind of the ideal here in this psalm. When we will put forth our efforts of sacrifice and service and sowing that seed, we are promised that there will be a happy, happy ending. And so this evening, thank you for working through the book of Psalms with me a little bit. And thank you for working and noticing these good words from Psalm 126 and then trying to make application uh, for us today. Jeff's going to lead us in this good song. It's a good time. For us to reflect on ourselves. Remember, many of the Psalms are written with reflection. And every time that we come together, we need to seriously consider ourselves. When the prodigal was out there feeding those pigs, he finally came to himself and he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? I will go to my Father and I will say, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. Make me as one of your servants. It might be that upon reflection, we need to come home to the Lord this evening. We'd love to assist anyone, have studies with anyone about the great gospel of Jesus. Please make that known tonight as we stand together and as we sing. Brother Jim. When we were-